Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. All right, so Dr. Bill Miller, he did okay last week, is that right? Yeah, I hear he's pretty awesome, a good-looking, gray-haired, 60-something-year-old guy. Is that what I hear? Uh, at least a couple of men said they greeted him last week. He said, good morning, Brother Gary. And uh, he corrected him real quickly. I don't think it was a compliment. I'm not really sure how it rolled. But uh, for me, you know, if you accidentally called me Dr. Miller, that would be fine. Uh, it would be helpful if I were a dentist, actually. Well, I'll take any kind of doctorate at this stage of the game. I hope you're doing well. We missed you last week and missed being here. Uh, some of the things that I do that I love the most, honestly, in this season is provide for churches some leadership concerning their marriages and their parenting. I've done that here, and I would trust that maybe I've gotten even more uh, locked in and sharpened in what I do, and I have opportunities from time to time. And uh, for the most part, I try to do those events on a Friday night and a Saturday or on a Saturday, but uh, last week was an all-day Sunday marathon talking about parenting for a church outside of Decatur, Mississippi, uh, the big town of Decatur, one traffic light, and this church was seven miles outside of that town. It was in the country, ladies and gentlemen. And it was a good-sized rural church. It's Beulah Baptist Church out in Newton County, and uh, they were incredibly gracious. But while I was there, I was thinking about you. Uh, I really treasure this time, and I'm praying for a Christmas miracle in 2023. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not in a hurry. I like you. I mean, I can go someplace else. I mean, I just want you to know I'm, I'm gainfully employable. It's not that I have to have this job. It's that I love you. I don't want you to be confused by that. And it's such a privilege to be here. David Williams is your uh, associational. What do we call them these days, David? Associational mission strategist. Associational mission strategist, the AMS. It turns out I'm just old enough to mostly call them DOMs, Director of Missions. Uh, David's here today, and of course, he, in regard, some regards, is kind of a son of this church, at least through a season of life, as he's pastored over many years, and we welcome David this morning. Always when there's like a denominational person in the room, I feel the, I feel the need to really preach. You know what I mean? I feel like I ought to be doing like a bad Billy Graham moment. Get your Bibles out and turn with me. Uh, I'm not doing that. I mean, we know me by this point, don't we? I'm, I'm not doing that. I do want you to have your Bible out, but I'm not going to preach. Even though David's here today, we are going to, uh, we're going to study God's Word together. There's a theme that runs through the service today, and you saw it from front to back. Robert and the Lord's leadership has been very diligent to help us think about Advent. Advent is literally the expecting or the waiting uh, for the Lord Jesus, and it looks like as we review God's Word and the flow of the Old Testament and the truth pegged through the Old Testament, that God's people had words from the Lord about the coming Messiah or Savior or Deliverer over and over and over for about 800 years or so. And every Jew in the time of Jesus who knew the Scriptures 
who had been raised in the temple would have known that they were expecting a savior or a deliverer. And this morning, as we sang, folks, we really do learn a lot of theology from the best of hymns and carols. And we, we sang about awaiting this long-awaited Jesus. And it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. It's about the incarnation. It's about God, who is the God of the universe and is transcendent, comes in flesh to be with us. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. 800 years. 800 years or more, the covenant people of God had waited for a deliverer. And I'm sure their thinking was varied. Some people in certain seasons were looking for a deliverer from those who had the people of God under their boot, enslaving them. And when we look back and we see God's faithfulness and God's discipline and God's love for his people, what we saw was God gave many times his people to hard seasons to remind them of their need for him. And though they may have been looking for a deliverer from those moments, that's not who the Messiah was to be. The Messiah was the one who would bring hope and peace and reconciliation to God the Father and take our place. Now, there are about, depending on who you read and at what point you, you sort of drill down in this, about 60 or so prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. And this morning, what I've done is I've specifically chosen eight. And I've done those for a reason. They align with a book that was printed in the 60s that has been reprinted and talked about and considered and found valid and compelling. It's been compelling to me. It's entitled, Science Speaks. Now, Even the title kind of baffles me. When I say science speaks, you know, sometimes science is truthful and factual. Sometimes it's just factual and sometimes it's a guess. I mean, what we think sometimes is definitive science, many times we'll find out later is not. Uh, Like today, I'm not sure if butter is good for you or not. Do you know what I'm saying? And if you're of a certain age, you went through the butter, margarine, melted plastic, whatever, now we're not sure. Eggs, the incredible edible egg, anybody with me? We're not sure if eggs are good for you, bad for you, the whites or the yolks, because science spoke definitively multiple times about the egg. It turns out that science sometimes is an accumulation of facts leading to a conclusion which may or may not be all of the truth. So when I hear a book titled Science Speaks, I say to myself, maybe And then when I recognize what the book contains, I'm compelled. Because the book is a look at the truth of God's word as expressed in the observable, empirical evidence of history and even mathematics and probability concerning Jesus. Dr. Stoner, who was a college professor, wrote the book in, I think, 1962 or 63, And the book considered the probabilities of these messianic prophecies being fulfilled in one man at one time. And it is a fascinating study. And out of all of those 60 or so prophecies, Stoner did most of his work in probability. He was a mathematician 
around eight. And I've got those eight prophecies listed for you this morning in your order of worship. So this morning would be a good morning to take a look at that because we're going to walk through these. What I've done is I've listed these eight prophecies and then I've listed, as you see, some New Testament passages that describe how these prophecies were fulfilled. Now, these eight in particular, because they were the object of Stoner's probability research, but they're also reminders of God's faithfulness in saying over a period of well more than 800 years, this is what the Lord would do with this person who would be the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ in the Greek, the Deliverer, the Savior. This is what he would look like or what would attend his appearing. So we're going to walk through these just step by step, and then I want to challenge your thinking with probability. By the way, I, I love this. I love this. Because there are just transparently, there have been two or three moments in my life when I heard this kind of thinking about the truth of God's word, and at just the right time, I relaxed in my spirit and said, yes, yes, thank you for, thank you for that encouragement about the faithful giving of God's word to us as his people. If you have your order of worship open, let's begin taking this quick overview of these eight prophecies. Hey, by the way, I need to say, uh, at Thanksgiving, two weeks ago, we talked about Thanksgiving and gratitude. Of course, last week I was away. And we're going to take a break from our study in the book of Romans, and we're going to return to that at the beginning of the year. But we're going to think Advent and Christmas as we move toward the holiday. Back to prophecy number one. Prophecy number one that I've chosen out of 60, uh, that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, right out of Micah. So Bethlehem was going to be the location. This was not the center of the universe by any measurable uh, evaluation. But it was the place because of a number of factors that God had woven together and let the people know, the line of David and other things, that Bethlehem would be the location of the birth of this Savior. Prophecy 2, be preceded by a messenger. We know John the Baptist called out in the wilderness a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make straight or prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah 43. Prophecy 3. He was to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. When I think about the gospel story and the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem in that Passion Week, the last week of his life, as he assigns the disciples to go and find that donkey that would be waiting for him, it was such a a moment of fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, how, why would that matter? Think about the minute detail 700 years prior to this moment for Jesus of Nazareth, who said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. When he said, I've come to complete the law. When you see Jesus, he knew that donkey would be waiting. It's an expression of God's faithfulness. 
Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was a humble entry into Jerusalem. Prophecy 4, he was betrayed by a friend. Twelve disciples, we know the story. Out of Psalm 41, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. This prophecy points to the story of Judas as one who would be friended by Jesus and a part of the twelve would be the one who would betray him. Remember that Jesus pointed him out during the Last Supper. Prophecy 5, sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah, the prophet, speaks these words in anticipation of the Savior. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Now, this morning, we're not building context for all of these scriptures, but we're looking at these understood. Uh, Kathy, would you give me some water, please, ma'am? Thank you. We're looking at the context of these scriptures that are understood messianic prophecies about the life of Jesus. Thank you, dear. Kathy and I have both enjoyed the cough this week. Anybody else have that? If I don't have it, I have missed a great opportunity because my sweet wife, who I've loved for 40 years with all of my heart, has coughed on me for 12 days straight. (laughs) I didn't know that was going to be part of marriage. I just, nobody told me, you know. Gary, you're going to love this woman. She's going to be the mother of your children. You're going to lie in the nursing home together, but she's going to cough on you like she hates you. (laughs) Now I've got it. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Those of you watching by way of internet, I hope you enjoyed that because it was really loud in my microphone. So bringing it to your home today on behalf of East Haven. Prophecy 6, money to be thrown in God's house. Uh, Zechariah, once again, the prophet says, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. You remember that in the temple. Uh, Prophecy 7, Jesus was silent before his accusers. This, for me, was always a fascinating read as I saw these moments where Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin and Pilate and He's got these accusers. He's being accused of a lot of things, many of which were true. But they were seen as blasphemous because he, in fact, had said, I am that I am. And he was the son of God. So the accusers are accusing him of much that is true, but also much that is not. And the scripture in Isaiah hundreds of years earlier said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Can I stop right there? 
Think about the imagery there. Think about the picture of a perfect lamb as sacrifice, as atonement. And here's Jesus. Think of the book of Hebrews. Here's Jesus as the perfect, innocent, spotless lamb predicted hundreds of years prior to this moment. Led like a slam to the slaughter. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. You shouldn't drink before you preach. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. David, are we okay? I'm not ever coming back to this association, am I? Uh, this, we're done. I know. Did I say slam to the... Golly. I'm glad I like you people and you like me. Woo. I'm going to try it again. So I spoke to David this morning. I, I greeted David. And David said, well, Gary, it's been a long, long time. We were in camp together 32 years ago that I directed at Baylor University. And David was pastoring. Uh, that's a real sign that you're getting really old. It's like we were at a camp you directed decades ago, decades ago. And he, he acted like maybe he thought a lot of me until I said slam just a moment ago. He, I'm going to try it again. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Again, another prophecy spoken as the very words of God by Isaiah. Prophecy 8, hands and feet pierced. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Psalm 22, verse 16. You see it fulfilled in at least this passage, Luke 23, 33. And of course, the picture there is Christ on the cross, nailed to the cross, hands and feet pierced for this perfect, innocent lamb who had been seen as one who would come and deliver. You remember just a few moments ago, I said the opinions, the thoughts in different seasons about who this deliverer would be and what he would do were varied. In this moment, many of the Jews think Pharisees, Sanhedrin, kind of the professional Jewish people, and then the people who would look forward to a Messiah thought that perhaps the job of the Messiah would be to remove the Jews from the oppression of the Roman Empire. But Jesus came to speak the gospel. It was a love of God for all mankind. And even as we've studied Romans, we see it's both for the Jew and the Gentile. Can I get an amen? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus embodies. But those who were aware of these prophecies and the others didn't know what to expect. They were living in the everyday oppression, uh, virtual political slavery of whatever conquering nation or power held sway in Israel through that season. 
But Jesus exploded that well beyond that. Today, when we look at an IMB video and we talk about the power of the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation around the world, we're talking about the explosive power of the love of God in the life of people who will respond by faith to him. That is what the Messiah brought. The Messiah didn't bring simply an easier life or a season out from under stress or political uh, structure and strength from others, but it was really about an internal reality that we would be aligned with the Lord our God. It was the heart of the gospel. And Jesus, the bread of life, the light of the world, the Lamb of God, he was who he was. He was I am. He was God. When you look at the Father, you look at me, Jesus said. That's the heart of the gospel in this Messiah. Now, there were about 60 prophecies or so in the Old Testament. And it depends on which scholars one would read about how granular those prophecies were. Uh, some were arguably for most of us, they might have been obscure, but many of them were very straightforward. Just a while ago when we sang, um, Come Thou Long Away to Jesus, or O Come, O Come Emmanuel, that was the cry of the covenant people of God that the Messiah would come. These eight prophecies were chosen out of the 60 by Dr. Stoner many years ago in that treatise, Science speaks. And as a mathematician who studied and taught probability, he did a probability study that was studied, peer reviewed, and found to be plausible, accurate, and responsible. He did a probability study about what the chances were, speaking in the realm of probability, about those prophecies being realized in one person at one time in one place. And the number he came up with of those eight intersecting one person, one time, one place, was one to 10 to the 17th power. Now that's 17 zeros after a one. And then it, for the sake of illustration, he explained what that would be like. Now remember, this is eight prophecies out of about 60. He explained what an incredible number that is. And he described it this way. If you took a silver dollar, now, my hand, if I make an okay symbol, this is about the size of a silver dollar. It's, it's larger than a quarter. It's larger than a Kennedy half dollar. It's a little bigger and a little, little more circumference than that. If you took a silver dollar and you painted it red, and then you took, wait for it, the state of Texas, and you covered the state of Texas, Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars, and you had that one red 
marked silver dollar and you randomly put it in the state of Texas somewhere and you stirred it up and you took a man and you blindfolded him and you said, now go pick one coin. That would be the odds, he would tell you, of those eight prophecies coming true in one person, in one place, at one time. 10 to the 17th power, two feet deep, state of Texas. Anybody ever driven across the state of Texas? Oh, my goodness. It's one of the bigger countries in the world, they think. Anybody from Texas? Can I get a witness? You know why? Because nobody will move out of Texas. They believe in Texas. I've driven from Tyler and Marshall to El Paso. You might as well drive to Norway. It is a long, 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 long way. State of Texas, just the visual overwhelms me. Two feet deep, dollar size, one marked red, man blindfolded into the state of Texas. Just reach down and pick up the red one. Those are eight prophecies that would converge in one man, at one time, in one place. Now, what would it matter to me if this mathematician missed this by 50%? Well, the state of Texas, only one feet, one foot deep in silver dollars? And it's only eight prophecies. What about the 60? I'm not going into it today because I don't have enough background to explain electrons to you. But thinking about some of the smallest known units to count, it would be more than quadrillions of quadrillions of electrons would be the probability in all of the world, in all of time and space, of one man, one place, at one time, where those 60 prophecies would converge. Was there any possibility that Jesus made those things happen? That he would have known, as just a human being, he would have created in himself, the fulfillment of prophecies? Well, of course not. There's no way Jesus could have determined as a human being where he was going to be born. It, it just moves on and on and on through the prophecies that God in his faithfulness and his sovereignty predetermined over the expanse of centuries what John says is at just the right time just the right time. So today, I want you to know that ultimately, knowing Jesus is not, it's not a test to be correctly answered. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's not an argument to be made that you acquiesce to and say, yes, okay, I'll believe it then. 
It's not even a response to the overwhelming evidence. But today, it's just an awareness that God in his graciousness and his sovereignty provided this map for a thousand years to bring us to the point that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior and the Deliverer. John, the first chapter. I love this chapter. Here's John who writes in language that is expansive and almost poetic, but is so insightful. John, giving the big sweeping picture of the gospel and the arrival of Jesus, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes so eloquently and elegantly about the truth of Jesus. From the beginning, God created all things held together by him, and then came that we might know him. Remember, there was a messenger that announced, and he was full of grace and truth. That picture of being the word, the Greek word for word is logos, And today, if I were to flash a logo for your Apple iPhone or the CBS television network or General Electric or for the brand of car you're driving this morning on the screen, you would recognize those logos that they represent something bigger even than themselves. You would see perhaps the Apple logo, and you would see more than a two-dimensional picture of an apple with a bite taken out of it. What you would see is what it represents, which is the Apple Corporation and all that they stand for and they've done. If you saw the CBS logo, the I, you would say, okay, I recognize that. That's a, that's a television network. I, I know 
what that is. It's not a two-dimensional representation, but it stands for, it reminds you of all that's true about that television network. In a sense, with much elevation of who Jesus is and this word logos, Jesus is the logo of God the Father. He said, when you've seen me, remember he's in the flesh. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now when Jesus said that, all the religious people, they were unhappy. Because God was untouchable. His word, uh, much of what was used as the name of God was unspeakable. But Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. He is the word who at just the right time came and brought truth and grace. When you see Jesus, you know what the Father's like. And yet the Father gave the Son that whoever believeth him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. That's the gospel. And it was prophesied about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And at just the right time, Jesus came. So the question presents itself. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Are you encouraged by the truth of his word today? Are you walking in his spirit and in his presence? He's our God. As is our tradition, (coughs) pardon me, as is our tradition, we're going to offer an invitation in just a moment. And that invitation is a chance to make a decision public. It represents perhaps what God's doing in your heart, your life, your family. And it can be one of several things. It can be a time to come and be prayed for and encouraged. It can be a time to come and say, I'm uniting with this body, this part of the body of Christ, this church, so that I can be a part of this church family and we can serve and mobilize together and love one another and worship together and be the church. It could be that you want to say, I need prayer. I I need to be encouraged today. Or maybe you have questions about God and his graciousness or what you're walking through and you want some help finding the truth of who God is in the midst of your life and and the good things or the painful things. It's really a chance to put concrete expression to what God's doing in your heart and life. So we're going to sing in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to stand. Then I will meet you at the front and Phil will be here and we'll have decision counselors. If God's at work in your life and the upshot of that is his leadership to do something public or concrete about that, It would be our privilege to meet you at the front. Would you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to give us the truth of your word. To give us the evidence and the witness of these prophecies that remind us that your plan was Jesus. And that our hope is Jesus today. Father, my prayer is that... For each of us, we would be encouraged that our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, would become more and more real to us as we walk with him. 
Specifically, Father, today I pray for whoever in this room you've been leading to make some decision, perhaps about joining this church, perhaps about uh, trusting you for the first time, God, perhaps about being vulnerable, requesting a prayer and encouragement about something that's happening in their life. Father, at whatever point that a man, a woman, a couple, a family need to be obedient, I pray we would be responsive today. We love you. As we continue to sing to you and with you and about you, I pray you'd give great grace and boldness to any who would come. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you came at just the right time. Thank you for the truth of your gospel and the way you love us. Heavenly Father, you're a good father. And we're thankful that we're your sons and daughters today if we've trusted you. So now have your way in this time, in this place. We pray this as your people, grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's continue to worship. If God's led you to a decision, I'll meet you at the front. God bless you.